I don't feel like I'm done in this industry, especially when it comes to like minorities. We have not really had that chance. We're only starting to open the doors. We have not had our Bobby's world. I know right now it's mostly like very introduction to our experiences. I want to be able to get to that point. Hello, welcome everyone to Straight Ahead, an animation podcast where we spotlight rising black, indigenous, and people of color who are the future voices of the animation industry. I am Raymond Zolanda, one half of your co-host. And I'm Yuki Okamura Wong, the other half of our whole host. Our guest this week is Jose Hernandez. He is an El Salvadorian American and a background artist. Would you mind telling us a bit more about yourself? Um, I'm Jose Hernandez. I am a background designer who's been in the animation industry for now, I want to say 12 years. And have worked at many different studios, started Cosmic Toes, then went on to like DreamWorks, Nickelodeon, Netflix, just to name a few. Throughout the years, I feel like I've gained enough experience, but I still feel like I'm still pretty fresh and young within the industry. Awesome. Well, can't wait to hear more about your incredible journey. But the way we like to start off on Straight Ahead is by playing a little game called In Between. We're going to give you two slimmer choices, and you have to choose in between the two of them and let us know why. Okay. Okay. All right, sweet, sweet. I'll start us off with the first question. Who do you think is a better scientist? Dexter from Dexter's Lab or Professor Utonium from the Powerpuff Girls? Definitely Professor Utonium, because I feel like (laughs) he was actually successful. (laughs) Oh, yeah? (laughs) (laughs) I feel like a lot of Dexter's projects kind of like cause some kind of like world destruction events. I mean, can he be a better scientist in the future? Maybe, because I mean, he's only like... Maybe he is a child. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess we're comparing a child to like a a full-grown adult here. Okay, that's a fair fair point. But he's showing promise, you know? Uh Mm Uh-huh. Okay. Damn. Okay, because that's the thing. I only know Professor... The only thing I know that Professor Utonium has done was create the Powerpuff Girls. What else has he done? Yeah, Not that's really a good sure. question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. just, I feel like cause his, his title is like scientist or professor, but like, what does he do? Yeah. Was the only what's thing he that he did was... Of? Yeah, what's he the professor of? Of like, of human mutation or human like alteration, the creation? Like what... Yeah, I think he might be some kind of bioengineer, but I think Mojo Jojo was actually one of his earlier creations too. Mm. And look how that ended up. <laughs> <laughs> Unethical scientists? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I think he's messing with life too much, that Professor Utonium, you know? But does that make him a better scientist? <laughs> I don't know, like, I... I, I, I... I feel like we should question anybody. I, I think Dexter has to look at... Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Okay, but no, yeah, yeah. So, full grown yeah. adult that has that has uh, like maybe two things that they made versus Dexter who's constantly making stuff. But yeah, you're right. They always backfire or like doesn't always have a good success ratio. But like, uh, I think I want to say Dexter because of the future potential with him. Because like mm. he also did build a big mech. Like there's, I like that episode where like he's fighting in a big mech with oh. other. Professor Utonium built a big mech, too. Oh, did he? Okay. Yeah. Ah, mm. They should have a mech You always got to have a big robot. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think Dexter in his young age has been slightly more ambitious, though. Just because it's Mm. like, I remember he turned himself into an old man. I don't know how he reverted back, but he did it. (laughs) 
But has Dexter ever created human life? <laughs> I want to believe he has. I wouldn't remember what episode, but I know he's created so many things that I'm like, <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if it's not out of the question. Actually, actually, I think he in one episode it's alluded that he accidentally created a chupacabra. Oh, okay, well, oh, okay, uh, okay, okay. So, all right, Yuki, what do you think? Who's who's a better scientist in your mind? I I started thinking about this question, and then I was like, yeah, Professor Utonium hasn't really made stuff. And then I was like, is that like is that like an allegory for becoming a dad? Did he like because he has his <laughs> girls to take care of now? He hasn't invented anything anymore. <laughs> and then I got a little sad. <laughs> <laughs> Um, because I mean, like Dexter's, Dexter's like a kid, and he has all this. I don't know where he gets all his resources, but um, yeah, I mean, he's inventing a lot of stuff. I love the aesthetic of his lab. Like, it seems like there's a lot going on. I don't know really what marks a good scientist, but I mean, they both got stuff going on, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think so too. I do kind of like how crazy Dexter's experiments are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think Professor like. He did. He created his ultimate, like creation. But then he just got complacent. But I mean, he, he <laughs> saves the world. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Nice answers. Nice answers. I feel like that was. Oh <laughs> uh, no. Yeah. I feel like it can go either way. It can go either way. I feel like yeah. Uh, better. It's hard to say because I don't actually know really what else Professor yeah, Utonium I, is I, like I a scientist of. Powerpuff Girls to really like give a definitive answer, but from like what Maybe I can gather, I'm siding still more with Dexter. Fair enough. I'm gonna go with Dexter. Also, I'm gonna lock in Dexter just for the. It's fun. His lab, yeah. his big lab. It's fun. Yeah. Plus, again, I just one more credit to Professor Utonian. The fact that he created like not just one, but three like super powered little girls. Like that's a big feat. That's it's a big, big feat. It's huge. So, yeah. 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 They're missing fingers, but it's cool. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the bug-eyed freaks. <laughs> all right, all right. Final question. Cool. Would you rather have Batman's superpowers or Spider-Man's money? Um, <laughs> probably Batman's superpowers because Spider-Man is broke. <laughs> uh. I don't know why that made me laugh so hard. <laughs> you came up with it. I know, but like, just also seeing like Jose's like like face processing the question for a second just made me laugh as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. It's it's really fun. I mean, I like it. I thought it was funny. Because <laughs> uh, I'm like, because I know in reality, like Batman doesn't have superpowers, but he has a lot of yes. money. And yes. Sp Spider Man has superpowers, but he's broke yeah he struggles <laughs> no for sure the struggle is definitely real i think i i'm, I'm siding with you i would also go batman only because like i wasn't thinking about the money but the money is a big part of it but like more in the sense of like yes batman doesn't have superpowers but he has such great body conditioning that like <laughs> like he doesn't need it like he he trained himself in martial arts he trained himself in like you know and like uh, escaping, like, you know, how to escape stuff like in magic. Like he trained himself in so many disciplines. It's like, holy crap. Like the, the body conditioning of Batman is so top tier compared to yeah, like but... other other people versus and his brain, too. Well, I guess he is. He is kind of smart. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He's also like, you know, studies a lot. Like he's a great detective. Spider-Man. Spider-Man is so cool. But like 
Bruh, living in New York and not having money, man, it's just like, uh, I just don't know how, like, I would live as Spider-Man. I think Spider-Man is, is broke AF, like. Yeah, and not in, like, the best way. Like, he's smart and everything, but it's like. He's smart mm. and broke. The worst, <laughs> the worst combination. <laughs> I feel like Batman, even if he didn't have that much money, I think he'll find a way to make it work. Well, I think Spider-Man always struggled to make it work. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. I feel like I feel like the the true <laughs> answer to this question is Batman's superpower is his money. <laughs> you don't you don't just go to the gym ten hours a day because you can. You do it because you have money. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. <laughs> yeah, he's able to do all the things because he has like um, a trust fund and like money yeah, to a like trust fund. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna knock it. I'll, also, I will say, like, I I had a really great time watching the Batman, which is the one with um, Robert Pattinson. With, yeah, it was, it was yeah. Robert Pattinson because he's just such a bad Batman. Like, <laughs> like in the in the writing, so he goes around. He doesn't. He a doesn't solve the mystery. He fucking every time he like launches a device, it kind of doesn't work. Like he. At some point, is falling and he he like glides away, like he uses a little glider and then he hits yeah. like a bridge and like beats it. Oh yeah, it I was like, and... how did he not like die or like break his neck? No, no, I mean, like insane stuff happens to him and he doesn't die, but like it's really it's such a funny movie if you just realize, oh, this dude who's like a rich kid, he's running around and trying to be a vigilante, but like I mean, it's insane. Why would you ever like? invent all this crap and like you know be around the city i don't know i actually i really loved it anyway <laughs> yeah like it's very unrealistic but i mean there was a guy from that i remember was kind of trying to do the same in seattle i think they called him phoenix jones oh wow phoenix jones that's a cool name he had like a full suit like kevlar and i think ultimately he got caught like selling drugs so like he lived long enough to become the villain <laughs> He became that the villain. Terrible. That is oh. horrible. Oh my god. Uh, uh. Phoenix Jones. No. Wait. So Yuki, what did you end up going with? I mean, uh, if Batman's superpowers is money, then I would go with that. But <laughs> <laughs> I guess it would be if I had like Spider Man's wit or something like that and his intelligence. That would be fine too. <laughs> you could always create a web dome. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Jose, thank you so much for playing in between with us. Of course. And if you want to hear the extended version of the in between segment and find out what else we asked Jose, please be sure to support and subscribe to us at Kofi. You can find us at ko-fi.com forward slash straight ahead AP. And this is your first time tuning in. Please be sure to follow us on Blue Sky and Instagram at straight ahead AP to stay up to date whenever we upload a new episode. Without further ado, let's jump into this, uh, Jose. Thanks again for being on the podcast. We're so excited to have you on. Of course. I'm excited to be here. Uh, yeah. yeah. We're, ha we're happy to have you on, man. Uh, to dive in, how did you first get your start in the animation industry? Um, it started back around 2010. I mean, I went to college for it, but I wasn't like... Like as a teenager, I wasn't actually sure if I really wanted to be an artist because I went through a period where I really wasn't drawing and I was kind of hanging, hanging around with like a bad crowd. 
I think it's once I got into like my last year in high school, I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do with my life. I'm like, I was, I wasn't like a good academic student. I never even took an SAT. And then I was like, ah, maybe comic book artist. So I, originally it was like, yeah, it was something like more I wanted to be a comic book artist because at that mm -hmm. time I was like a big, like I liked a lot of like Todd McFarlane stuff. So that mm -hmm. was kind of like what I wanted to do. And Jim Lee. But then I think when I went to my community college, because I couldn't go to college like straight up because I was like not a good student. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, maybe I think I want to do animation. Mm. And I spent about two years there and then I transferred to Cal State Northridge and their program wasn't like the best. And I remember I almost got discouraged too because like the first day of class, like my teacher's like, if y'all are thinking you're going to do like traditional hand-drawn animation here, well, good luck. Cause it's like, we haven't been doing that here in the States for like 20 years. Mm -hmm. And that was mm -hmm. like a shock to me because I didn't, I didn't grow up with like thinking you know, I was like, okay, this is America. It's like, I'm sure it's everything is still done here. <laughs> and I was like, oh man, is this not what I'm meant to be? But then I started realizing it's like, oh, there's more to it. There's like character design, background design. And one of the mm -hmm. semesters, I mean, we were doing this project. It, it was like a group project. We were supposed to come up with like a one minute animation piece. And we ended up doing three because we were just like ambitious. Mm -hmm. It was called 80s Action Hero. And mm. it was just kind of based off like, you know, 80s movies. It was like a sergeant kid trying to toughen up like this little nerdy kid. And there was the first time I ever tampered with backgrounds because my friend was like, Jose, do you think you could do any backgrounds? I'm like, I don't know. Like, I've never tried it before. But then I saw my friend Austin kind of pull one out and I was like, and he kind of ran me through it. It's like, okay. And I started really liking it. So, that kind of started becoming like my strength. Even though we didn't have like a background program at our school. Mm. Once I graduated, I remember I I took like this mentorship with this guy who had been in the industry from like the late 90s. And he was running it out of his apartment in Redondo Beach. And he helped really like make my stuff look a lot stronger. Because at one point I was like, oh, this is my style, but it's like, no, it's just like student art, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. And he was like kind of gearing me towards drawing and more or less what the industry wanted to see instead of what I thought the industry wanted to see. Mm -hmm. So, that's okay. how I started finding my way. And then after I graduated, it was like a year before I started like my first kid because I did some VFX for a while too. I did some for a movie called Walenda and that one series that was like, popular a few years ago deadliest warrior i don't know if you guys remember that i remember seeing clips of that yeah mm -hmm. yeah where they would have like an astic warrior versus like a samurai or something like that mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah so i did some vfx on that stuff but i, I it's like it was fun but it was like ah, it's just not for me like i like more like more creative like super creative like i'm in control like i'm doing it with my hands kind of stuff mm. so i remember the summer of 2011 kind of being a bit difficult because there wasn't as much work back then. It was really like veterans working. Mm -hmm. And I think one of my friends had applied there earlier. And he's like, oh, you should apply here. It's like, it looks like they're looking for a PA. and But the PA job was actually for like live action because they had like a live action section. And I was like, well, this is hard to try. I'm just going to submit my portfolio too. Mm-hmm. And I almost forgot about it because, like, 
remember a few weeks later, I had an interview with a Bank of America because I was like, well, I just kind of need funds. Maybe I could pay a few classes. Mm-hmm. And I then I bombed that interview because it was like a huge group interview. And it was like 12 people. <laughs> oh, no. oh, damn. <laughs> and I was like, because at first I was like, well, I'm like, possibly couldn't be that hard. But then you had like all these like business majors and accounting majors. And I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm like <laughs> I'm like the wrong person to be here. I'm like, I got no good like stories to tell here. So I remember I went home and I was like disappointed. I was like, man, or I was like, whatever. I'm just gonna keep doing what I want to do. And that same morning, I see that I had an email from Cosmic Toes telling me that they like my backgrounds, and then they're like, oh, do you want to come in for an interview this week? I'm like, sure. It's like, how how's tomorrow morning? I'm like, perfect. <laughs> And I went in, they liked me, they liked my art, and I started the next day. Granted, it wasn't the best place to be because I remember I wasn't paid for the first three months I was was there. Oh, wow. And the only reason why I took it is because there was no other options. Like, I think now there's more studios than there was at that time. And at that time, I didn't feel like my art was that good. Like, if anything, it only helped me develop like my art as i went along Mm. but it's not something that i would recommend like younger artists today like i only took it because like at that time there really wasn't anything and i was just trying to learn and i just wanted to work because i come from like really poor conditions Mm. Mm -hmm. so uh, i guess one of the things because it took them three months to like pay you how were you paying your bills or like what were you trying to do to stay afloat at that time the fact that it took them so long like was it when they finally paid you, was it, you know, that three months back pay or is it like, oh, we're, we're paying you starting now? Well, see, the thing is, when I started, it was like an internship. Oh, okay. Mm. Yeah. So, they were able to get away with that. And like me being young, I was more trying to come up with a stronger portfolio because I knew coming out of college, my portfolio was not good enough to get hired anywhere else. So, mm. I took it more as an opportunity to just kind of hone my skills. but. Yeah, those first few months was kind of difficult. I think I was only like living off some of the savings that I had from working at like retail. Okay. Yeah. So one of the other things I also kind of want to dive into is that your work on the Casa Grandes. What was it like being a background designer on a show uh, like the Casa Grandes? That was a great experience. And I feel like the crew had a lot to do with it too because I feel like they took me... Right after I finished up that DreamWorks where I learned... At DreamWorks, I feel like I learned how to trust my hand. Mm. On Casa, it was more learning how to design, like how to make everything... Like a background, instead of just feeling like a drawing, it's like everything had a purpose. And it's like, you know, it's stuff that I never learned before. Mm-hmm. And I and over time, I got a lot faster. And it, I always kind of threw like little Easter eggs in, like family nem- member names on some of the buildings like oh nice i think one of my one of them was like based on my cousin Xiomara. so i was like uh, it's like she owns a nail salon here so it's like in this world <laughs> in this world you're like more <laughs> <laughs> so you know and it was fun because it was like um, Mexican culture is very similar to Salvadorian culture in, in a lot of because I mean they're they're more like they're like the biggest Latin country here mm-hmm. in North America. I mean, mm-hmm. 
so much that because I mean, part of the United States was part of Mexico, so it's still in some ways a big part of it. Yeah, you know. So and then for us, it's like it just kind of helps us kind of get our names mm-hmm. kind of like noticed. Like I, I think I would always in some of the big and shots, I was I would always put like pupuserias in there. Ah, oh, mm. nice, dude. So, ah. Pupusas are so good. I love, I love yeah. a pupusa. <laughs> yeah. So w- one thing interesting that you said that I kind of want to touch a little bit more about is you said when you, it was at DreamWorks when you finally learned to kind of trust your hand. Can you talk a little bit more about that and like what you kind of mean? Yeah. Um, what I mean by that is when I was starting how to draw, and I think I still did this for the longest time. If say I had to draw like a swoop, or like just finishing like a line, I would kind of just like etch it out like piece by piece. Mm. And it was because I wasn't very confident in getting that line. Mm. What my old art director did, it's like, he's like, just trust it. It's like, I don't, it's like, I don't care if you have to, you have to, you know, try 50 times until you get it. Like the more you practice it, you start getting them faster. And it's like, mm-hmm. That's how well, you're always going to get like those smooth lines and it's really just practice. When you're unsure of yourself, it's like you're going to like kind of etch it out. But it's like I could see it through experience where every time you pick up your pencil, it's like there's times when you could do that, but there's times it's not going to always look good. So, it's like just learn how to trust. It's like you already have like a good idea when it comes to drawing with shapes. So, try mm-hmm. just filling out those big shapes you usually draw. So that's how I mm-hmm. went about it. And yeah, it took me a while, but and at first one because that was like my first big studio gig, and the first time I ever actually had a true art director, I was like, I'm scared, but I'm learning so much. Mm. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Yeah. You you want to um you want to avoid those uh, hairy lines by building them up like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Getting, getting the confident line is for sure. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. It's it's a uh, it's a good skill to develop. <laughs> yeah. It it takes time, but it's it looks great in the long. Like there's a way to make like etchy lines look yes. less uh, unsure, but it's like you have to have learned how to trust yourself first. You know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah, because at that point it's etchy lines with intention versus lack of confidence. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, what were some of the similarities and differences from being a background designer at Nickelodeon and then from being a character designer at Netflix? Was one more kind of challenging than the other? I know you mentioned earlier that your forte is more backgrounds, but like, what were some of the crossovers and uh, differences between doing character design and background design? I feel like they're both complicated in their own way and they're both challenging in their own ways. Like, backgrounds is more the tediousness and it takes longer depending on, for example, if on Casa Grandes I had like a background count of say five, mm-hmm. those five either be a walk on the park or it could take longer than expected like if it's just Mm. like okay just redress this background by opening one of the shelves in the kitchen Mm -hmm. or just drawing like the ground or a corner of a room it's not that difficult but if it's like five backgrounds but one of those is a downshot of a city that one background alone can take a week So then you're the other ones. It's like if they're easier, you'll get it through. But it other sometimes it gets to the point where it's like, oh, 
I might need more time. Like, can I pass this along to one of my other partners that doesn't have like as full of a plate? So, mm-hmm. and I feel like art directors are usually reasonable. Now with characters on paper, it seems like an easier job, but it's like, I feel like the more realistic the character looks because the character moves. Yeah. If the pose does not read like something you would see in real life, you'll be able to know something's not right about it. Like it'll be uncanny. Mm-hmm. So, th- and even like a small character like Dexter, it's like visually it's supposed to work. Even if it's walk, it's like very stylish, mm-hmm. very stylized. I mean, and cartoony, it's like it has to be able to read for that world. Like anything that's off, it's going to just throw off a lot of people. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's like the challenge becomes more on the function while backgrounds, yeah, it, there's a function to it, but it's, it, it's, I think once you get past the design part, it's more how tedious and long it can be and the perspective can be an issue sometimes. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm kind of curious, like when it comes to both designing characters and then designing backgrounds, like when it comes to like this place in the pipeline, like does I'm assuming, like, do both of them come usually before the boards? Do they kind of work in tandem with the boards sometimes? Like, are you, like, how how often in your experience are you designing things for boards? And how often are you, like, getting things back from storyboards and designing based on the boards? I feel like most of the time it, it comes from the boards unless there's, like, a specific location that then it's usually talked about prior with a board artist, like, just to kind of give mm-hmm. them, like, a visual cue how to go off of or what to go off of. I mean, and because I think I remember we did that on Harvey. We had like this episode that was supposed to be like, like a Western. Mm-hmm. And I think the board artists for inspiration, they kind of needed like a visual aid. So we gave them like a rough concept of more or less what the background would look like. And it helped them out so much. So now when they would expand on that idea, it helped inspire us even more, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. So I think it goes both ways. Like sometimes it's the backgrounds that inspire the that means the storyboards that inspire the backgrounds, and sometimes it's the backgrounds that inspire the storyboards. Okay. And and the same can be applied with characters too. Mm-hmm. So one thing I kinda also wanna dive into, especially because you have a little bit more experience than most when it comes to being in animation. How have you been navigating the kind of the current landscape of animation as a freelance artist? Um, I'll be honest, it has not really been easy since the mm. strikes. I, I remember hearing from the grapevine that I think at the beginning of the year, there were many studios that kind of had like plans for greenlighting a lot of shows. And then you just kind of started hearing over time that they just getting started getting pushed back more. Mm-hmm. So it kind of makes it a bit tighter to get like freelance work from studios. So I, I think myself and maybe others in included like i don't want to speak for them it's like Mm -hmm. you're kind of just looking at whatever you can grasp at the moment Mm -hmm. like right now it's for me it's mostly been like short films that you find out through some other people that are working on them or Mm -hmm. right now comics like and if i have like and sometimes i've had clients that i worked with in the past that are like independent you know i'll kind of reach out to them every now and then and see if they have anything cooking at the moment that i could maybe like take a bite out of yeah mm-hmm. yeah anything yeah. yeah but yeah no there's even been a point that it's like well if it takes longer you know, i've got to go work at a guitar center for a while i guess i'll do that 
just so it doesn't take too much of my time. Because at least to me, I don't feel like I'm done in this industry. Like I feel, especially like when it comes to like minorities, it's like we have not really had that chance to. Like we're only starting to open the doors. We yeah. have not had our Bobby's <laughs> Worlds. We have not had our Dexter's Labs. Like I know right now, it's mostly like very introduction to our experiences. Mm-hmm. It's like I want to be able to get to that point where we're all doing like Dexter's Labs, like a little more wacky, or um, you know, a Bobby's World. Uh, I know lately, it feels like I'm more rooting for the independent outlets, just because I feel like that's the most. Like, I want to believe it could be the most organic and true to feel way for us to tell our stories. Because I know, mm-hmm. for example, I know there was like a big thing with Primo's that I think there was some pushback because it was like someone didn't like like one of the characters like nicknames on the show. Yeah. Yeah, I think Primo's I, is. Yeah, I think Primo's got like a lot of unnecessary hate for a project that hasn't even aired. I think the thing that mm-hmm. bothered me is a lot of people saying the show felt inauthentic or like, oh, like it, this is Disney whitewashing this or like whatever. But it's like, at least us personally, like I know that a lot of the writers were Hispanic. A lot of the writers were from yeah. like Southern California. I knew a lot of the artists that I, the creator is Hispanic. I think she's like mixed, but like I know there's a lot of authentic voices in the blood, in the sweat, mm-hmm. in the tears of that project. And people are just kind of basing it off of like, well, this wasn't true to my experience or this wasn't what yeah. I was expecting when I yeah. had a show like, like, one, like Primo's. Off of like one trailer, uh-huh. like uh, off of the opening sequence. Yeah. And, and I think that there, like one of the things I heard that was kind of like people were offended and I'm not saying it's like our people. I feel like it's someone else. I feel like being offended over us. It's like one of the yeah. characters, mm-hmm. I think they call him Gordito, which is like. Yeah. chubby yeah. but like i know in like our cultures like that's kind of a thing like there's always that one like nephew that that's what they call him yeah that's yeah. it's one of the i don't know if it's, it's like good or bad but it, it is it is a thing in our culture where you tend to get a nickname based on like the what you're most insecure about <laughs> it's, yeah. it tends to be your nickname yeah but i feel like it's like but it's always out of love it's never it yeah. never really is to like hurt you but like some like again mm-hmm. i think more modern people now are like do kind of like hey can you please not call me that it's like you know be respectful but like it was when we come up with those nigger, it was never out of like it was it was always came from a term of endearment so if you were the fat kid it is it sounds if you were the darkest skin it is la morenito if you were like super skinny it is flaco it's yeah like, I, what, I know i was like i was like flaco like <laughs> or, pe- <laughs> or what they would call me was like pechito which in, for salvadorans means like very frail very thin so and i feel like to me that's what it's like i know with bigger companies it's like even stuff that's in a that we find inoffensive it's like it can be a little too much for them and that's like maybe sometimes i kind of want to root for like the independence where it's like i i I just like the authenticity you know Mm -hmm. because it's like for example with me it's like i've never the idea of me ever like Relating to a cartoon where someone grew up on a two-story house or like three dogs and mm-hmm. and a huge backyard. I guess that was never me. That was like, for me, it was like a bunch of cars in the driveway, <laughs> mm-hmm. like small, tiny apartment. And you have to share a room with like your siblings. Yeah, I did apartment living until like I was, I think like eight maybe. 
Um, but like, yeah, my like the first apartment I grew up living in was one bedroom apartment. My parents and I was slept in the same with my with my brother slept in the same um, slept, slept in the same room. And then mm-hmm. we moved into a second apartment where it was two bedroom. And my brother and I finally had our own room and stuff. And then finally we were able way down the road, able to get a house. But for the early part of my life, it was a lot of apartments and it was a lot of sharing. It was all tight spaces, making the most of the space that you had. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's yeah, and that's really like to me, a neighborhood always kind of meant like the kids that were part of the building that you grew up with and they went to your same school, you know. Because I remember growing up, that was like my neighbors. It's like, oh, the one that lives in, in apartment number 17 or yeah, apartment mm-hmm. number eight, you know. And they got the dog downstairs, so we all hang out just to go pet the dog. Like, that was like our <laughs> big thing. Oh. Uh, I think I think that was the other thing when you were living in apartments, like all the kids would the second you found out like another kid was like living there, you would go find that kid because you there wasn't a lot of people to really play with. So like mm-hmm. and the second you found like another kid in an apartment, you were like, OK, we got to be friends. Yeah, no, that, that's a lot of it. And it's usually sometimes when it's like you have like that one friend who does have a house. It's like, man, this is like a palace, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. For sure. It's a, and then you ask your dad, how come we don't have a house? So, well. You don't understand right now. You're still little. Go play with mm. your toys. <laughs> no, yeah, I had no concept of that. I think one time I do remember asking my dad, like, and again, this is me being just a dumb little child. Like, dad, how come you decided not to be rich? Like, why can't like, <laughs> it's like, can't you just make more money? Like what? But I had no concept of it. I know. I thought like, it's like, I, I just didn't understand. But I remember asking something like that, like, oh, why can't you make more money? But it's not because uh. like, oh, we're poor or whatever. It's just like. Oh, like so and so has a big house. Like, how come? Like, why can't? Why don't we have a big house? And he's like, mm-hmm. I was like, oh, because like they make more money. He's like, well, why don't you make more money? It's like I just I had no concept of that kind of shit as a kid. Yeah, of course. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Like, I, I feel like there was like a big culture clash like for me growing up, like mm. going to school because I because I remember like when I started, I didn't start reading and really. Speak speaking in English up until I was like in third grade like we had like an ESL program that kind of like led us down that path but that's the only reason why I'm still able to read and write in Spanish mm-hmm. because I learned mm-hmm. it as a child but yeah English didn't come till later so when it got when I got into middle school it was like the hardest time because I was like a lot of like sayings and like I guess concepts I didn't understand especially because it was like I went to a more because I know my parents were trying to avoid me to go to, like, the worst schools in the neighborhood. Yeah. Um, they put me in a more affluent school, even even though it was a public school. But I was just like, I don't relate to anybody here. And I was, like, mostly scared the whole time. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of just because we're kind of, like, on the similar realm of talking, like, about upbringings and, like, you know, the experiences that we kind of went through. One of the things I do want to ask is, how do you feel your cultural background has influenced you and the work that you do? Well, it's a big influence because I feel like because what I try to draw is either stuff that I like growing up, like wrestling. Like I was a big Spider Man fan growing up, especially mm-hmm. with the '90s show mm-hmm. and a lot of like the Cartoon Network shows. But then it's like when it comes to like what I like to do personally as an idea, it's always like what I grew up around. You know, like mm-hmm. Salvadorian, but you're also a kid who was. Born and raised in Southern California. So, like, my mm. weekends, for example, as a kid, it was, like, in the 90s. My dad would play for a local soccer team here in North Hollywood. And it was technically him and my uncles. And 
it wasn't always the funnest thing because we were just kind of there waiting. And like a year <laughs> eight or nine, you just want to go home and play <laughs> video games, eat pizza, and maybe rent a movie. Well, you know, when renting a movie was a thing. <laughs> but uh, especially because you knew your dad's team never really won. So. <laughs> And it's like small things like that that I kind of that I want to incorporate as like how I grew up because I'm like, Mm -hmm. it was Mm. funny to me, but it's like, I know there's other people that can relate to that. And it's like, I know that there's ways I could make that really funny too. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the characters that I've drawn, because I have like my own personal comic that I've been doing, like Mm -hmm. it's like been my concept idea since college. And it's kind of based off of all that, like. The characters are based off of people that I know. Like, mm-hmm. like I have this character called Prudencio. Like, he's loosely based on my uncle. He doesn't have, like, a big old mustache. But it's like, I feel like it, there's essences of my dad in him. But my uncle, I think, because he was, like, the more, I want to say more, like, macho-headed kind of, a, like, family member. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, it's, you know, you grew up with, like, old concepts that they that they bring over here. But then it's like you're very different too you know it's like mm-hmm. you're constantly mm-hmm. fighting it's like okay these are the good parts of my culture but there's also some really bad parts that um, I don't, yeah for sure it's kind of like you're you're making the active choice to kind of like focus on the good parts and like you know bring the good parts to the foreground but like also kind of st- stopping the stuff that you didn't agree with or you to feel like this is like has its place in time but it's not going to be something that i'm going to carry on doing yeah mm-hmm. exactly you know mm-hmm. So, yeah, because I know we, I know we were talking about it earlier. I know it's like a term of endearment, but like, I just don't know if I'm going to do that with my kids, like give oh, them no, a nickname no, no, based yeah. on their worst quality. Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah. Specifically it's the like, worst one. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's like an idea that, for example, on a cartoon, I could like put out because it's like it happened. Yeah, it's authentic. But, it's real. Yeah. But it's one of those things. It's like giving it kind of like adapting kind of your experience like how would this character feel about that i'm sure he doesn't like it no so yeah like, for sure i'm pretty sure that could be a plot point in it you know yeah so and i feel like that's what um i kind of want to see more of you know because it's like yeah even like those stories it's like they there's ways to tell them and make uh like make it like a comedy that's cute but it's like also like a i'm also kind of trying to push away from this idea you know mm-hmm. you know because i feel like it's important to tell these things no yeah no i, I very very much so and i think like because yeah i don't want to stay on this topic too long but i think when it comes to like hispanic culture chicano culture like um latin american culture i feel like we all have a lot of shared experiences but also all of our, a lot of our experiences are super different and so it just kind of like being able to kind of recognize that and not be so aggressive or upset like oh that isn't exactly how i experienced it so that's inauthentic to me it's like no it may be authentic to you but it's authentic to someone else because like even the way we use certain words like it across latin america like like a freaking straw un popote, has a different word in every different country in like yeah. latin america yeah mm-hmm. it really does mm-hmm. yeah so like so just kind of keeping that in mind like we're not just all this we're not this big group that's going to have similar experiences throughout a lot of it does cross over, but like just keeping in mind that when something Hispanic comes out and it's not directly authentic to you and your upbringing doesn't mean it's inauthentic. Yeah, no. And that's what I think I was like rooting for primos because it's like, yeah, same. It's like the people that complain about it. It's like, obviously it's not their lived experiences, but it's like, it's their telling. Like, cause like Casa Grande, it's like, it has a lot of similarities to me. Obviously it's not, 
I wouldn't say it's a hundred percent, but it's like I could relate to it. Mm-hmm. Like the show on my block, it's like through exact. It's like there's a lot of stuff that I feel like I also like went through. But there's also like the stuff that's like, yeah, that luckily didn't happen to me, but I know it happened to someone that I know, unfortunately, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. So, and I think mm-hmm. that's important. No, very much so. I totally agree with you. Yeah. So that's why I'm like, I'm glad that shows like Casa Grande is like, Prague of the Creek, Primos exist because it's mm-hmm. like, those are our stories. And I, and I, and I want to see more, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Same, same here, man. Same here. And hopefully again, Whatever this wave of the animation industry we're in, this little valley that we're in, hopefully it goes back to a peak and hopefully like more opportunities to tell these kind of stories do come mm-hmm. out. Because like I do as cool as shows like, you know, like again, Casa Grandes, Primos, like Mine in the Three, like Mucho Lucha, Tigre, like where some of like the Hispanic culture is like really in the forefront. Mm-hmm. I do just want also to see shows where we're just kind of characters in the world and it doesn't the Chicano like a culture like the isn't always like the main focal point of a story. I just want to be a character yeah. that exists in a world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it's probably because it's the fact that it's like, we're only, like I mentioned earlier, we're only like opening the doors. We, yeah. like I said, we don't have a Dexter's lab yet where it's like a scientist kid that happens to be from Ecuador, you know? Yeah. But again, it's a scientist kid that's from Ecuador, but like, it's not about, it's, it's always not about his, it's, yeah, it's not always yeah. about him being from Ecuador. It's just like, he's just Ecuadorian. That's it. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, and that's the thing. Yeah, that's where I want to get to that point. Like, mm-hmm. but I yeah. think it just takes like because I know the big the thing now. It's like I know studios don't really want to do new IPs. So like, I just want to encourage everyone who's like listening. It's like just put it out there. You know, mm-hmm. if you could find like your audience, and if it grows, I'm rooting for you because I want to be able to laugh with you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks so much for joining us today, Jose. Uh, before we get into our final question, where can our audience find you? And is there anything else you'd like to promote? Uh, I think really the only one I've been using lately is just Instagram. So I'm under main eventer underscore Hernandez. I just want to say that's a great name. <laughs> Especially knowing that you like wrestling. Like that's a great handle for like an Instagram. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think that's why I went with it. Because it's like, I know I'm a big wrestling fan. So like, I'll keep the main eventer part. Nice, nice, that's nice. <laughs> I'm glad you went made event or not like Jobber. <laughs> Jobber Hernandez. Uh, I know a lot of my friends who don't even watch wrestling that use that word Jobber. It's like every time there's like a bad character in a movie, it's like... Oh, yeah. I, no, it's, it definitely has crossed over. I've I've heard it a couple of times too. Like I've, I've even used it where it's like when I talk about Dragon Ball Z sometimes like, oh man, they totally jobbed out Yamcha. Like... <laughs> yeah, like Yamcha is one of those characters like I think in story is kind of a jobber where it's like he'll get like his little moment but he mostly loses so he's almost yeah. like paid to lose no but like, here's the thing though i feel like the same thing is slowly starting to happen to vegeta where like because the reason they did it with yamcha is like oh this character beat yamcha that means they're a threat to goku but now anybody can be yamcha but like now that like anytime anybody beats vegeta is like holy crap they beat vegeta that means it's going to be really strong for Goku. But eventually, I just don't want it to get to the point where like, oh, yeah, Vegeta's just going to jump out to this character to make this character look strong in comparison to Goku. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I feel like I always rooted for Piccolo. I always wanted to have like that one angle where he gets like his shot. Like Piccolo's like the star <laughs> for this one big threat, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, that what it happened in, in the latest movie, the superhero movie. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> I mean, I was happy, but I was like, man, you're only slightly stronger than like Super Saiyan 2. And I'm like, man, cause like, come on, give the guy a break. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The power scale only doesn't matter anymore. Just say he's super strong. Don't. Yeah. yeah. It's like, don't ruin it for us. That we're rooting for Piccolo. <laughs> All right, man. As as we come to a close, what final advice would you like to bestow on those that want to pursue a career in animation? I would just tell them, like, just go for it. Like, I know that it seems like a scary time right now because it's like, yeah, like the work is tight. I know a lot of times it's cyclical. I know there's like this threat of AI, but I'm like, humans are have persisted and persevered through worse. I'm like, we could be that or even, if anything, I would say, like, the younger generation could be that new catalyst to a hopefully a better future in this industry mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. maybe, you know, we come back to, like, very creative, like, style work. It's something that will push the envelope in the best way to, you know, it launches into a new era. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. I'm always going to believe in the human spirit yeah. over any machine, any day. Mm-hmm. So, I love that. Yeah, I'm rooting for you guys. Oh, <laughs> hey, you're still in it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's it's gonna be all of us We're rooting for yeah, all yeah. of us. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, thanks again for joining us, Jose. And if you audience enjoyed our interview, please rate and follow us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you tune in. Follow us on Blue Sky and Instagram at Straight Ahead AP. You can follow myself at Radio Silence on Instagram, and you can follow me at Chewdles on Instagram and Blue Sky as well. Thanks to Catherine Nguyen for suggesting Jose as a guest. And if you have any suggestions for future guests, please contact us on social media or send us an email at straightaheadpodcast at gmail.com. We love discovering new professionals and want to use this platform to boost these voices of the future. Special thanks to our editor, Ashley Itliong. And finally, a big thanks to our music composer, Daniel Rodier. Thanks again for listening. And thank you once again to our guest who has a bright future straight ahead. Until next week, have a wonderful day. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye.